Michael, this is all very confusing. The Federal Reserve is not short on critics. Pundits have made careers out of Fed bashing. Books have been written about conspiracy theories that go back a century. And Paul Volcker even survived an assassination attempt in the early 1980s. Jerome Powell is the current Fed chair, and the onslaught of criticism he's endured over the past 18 months is nothing short of savage. Even some of the less outspoken names in finance have recently come out swinging. One of them is Jeremy Siegel, professor of finance at the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania and author to one of the best-selling investment books of all time, Stocks for the Long Run. I'm Remy Bartolotta, and this is On Markets, presented by Darwin Wealth Management and Darwin Asset Management. With me today is Chief Investment Officer Michael Sorrentino and Senior Financial Advisor Michael Bartolotta. If you have any questions, comments, or maybe just a suggestion for a topic for our next episode, email comments at onmarkets.com or hit me up directly at remy at onmarkets.com. And as always, if you like our podcast, help us out and hit that follow button on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or whatever podcast platform you prefer. So last week, Mr. Siegel was interviewed on CNBC and his takedown of the Fed and specifically Jerome Powell was borderline cringeworthy. In many ways, it was reminiscent of Jim Cramer's legendary rant on the Fed back in 2007 when he blamed the Fed for, quote, knowing nothing. But before we start feeling bad about Jerome Powell and the rest of the Fed, we're going to take today's episode to debate whether the criticism is warranted or not. So, Tino, I know you're jumping out of your seat to talk about this. So should we be more sympathetic to the Fed or, as Jim Cramer says, do they really know nothing? Yeah, I've got to do a bit of a mea culpa here. I, I've always been critical of the Fed. And um, with Jerome Powell, when he, when he came in uh, many years ago when Trump was in, in office, I was optimistic. And I was optimistic because Powell came from the private sector. He made a gazillion dollars in private equity. Uh, I felt like that real world experience was something that was desperately needed at the Fed because the Fed has more PhDs in it than probably the entire city of Boston with all the universities there. And they, they severely lacked that real world experience and I thought it would be helpful. And I think for the first couple of years it did. I don't know. I have to say that, uh, that Powell got dealt a, a tough hand when, um, when, when we shut down the economy back in 2020. And, and I think he and his team did a, a good job responding to those lockdowns. But 18 months ago, whatever it was, when the vaccine came out, maybe even two years ago, something happened at the Fed. And I don't know what it is. You know, we've talked a little bit about it here internally and even on the podcast a couple of times. They are off the reservation in more ways than I can count. And, and my, my optimism around Powell at this point has been completely replaced with um, severe skepticism in terms of what's really going on behind the walls of the Fed at this point. You know, what do you think is, is, is happening, right? I mean, he's just so single-minded on the inflation number that, that damn everything else that, that that's the one thing he's focused on. It's the one thing he's going to point to. I mean, is that how his, I mean, how are their incentives aligned? I guess, you know, to, to go back to like your conversation, usually when we talk about the media, you know, you always go back to, you know, let's look at where their incentive is and, and why are they doing the things they're doing? What, what is his incentive to do things that are seemingly so detrimental to, to the economy right now? At this point, I don't know. Uh, you know, I would have I would have said with maybe Janet Yellen or Bernanke, something like that. Their their incentive is to go into the private sector afterwards and make a gazillion dollars. But you know, Powell, Powell's already done that. Uh, you know, I, I would I would 
I look at the decisions that have been made here. I think we have somebody here who, and it's not just him, it's the entire FOMC or the Fed, uh, the Fed meeting group that, that are running around with their heads cut off. They start raising rates. Markets start recovering from the bottom or the lows we saw in June. We get to August and he goes out in Jackson Hole and basically says the world's going to need to experience a lot of pain. He said the word pain like two or three times. So he comes out all tough. And since then, it's been a complete shift in terms of how the Fed's been communicating to the general public and the media. Uh, right after that, that Wyoming meeting, you had a couple other Fed chairs, or, or sorry, Fed governors rather, come out and say the exact same thing. Oh, we're going to be tough. It's a lot of talk, a lot of talk. And, and I think one of the reasons why we, you mentioned Jeremy Siegel, he went off on the Fed, I think it was like a week ago on CNBC, and his point was very valid. It's like, look, there are multiple, multiple indicators right now in the economy saying things are slowing down, and you have not taken the time to even uh, recognize a single one of them in your press releases. So what, what are you doing? I think, that, I think to your point, Mike, a lot of people are looking at the Fed and saying, look, you're, you're, you went from one side of the pendulum to the exact opposite end on a dime and it's just really confusing people and i think that's the reason why the markets are selling off right now we don't know what's going on with the fed so years ago you know the, the, this whole interest rate thing years ago when i was married i used to have this recurring argument with my with my ex-wife right the house was cold you know it was you know maybe i don't know 67 degrees and she wanted to warm it up and i'd go turn the thermostat to maybe 70 degrees and she'd walk over behind me and turn it up to like 80 degrees. And I'd be like, you know, it's got to hit 70 before it gets to 80, right? Can, can, we just, can we just let the house get to 70 before we turn it to 80, please? And, and I feel like that's what this guy has done. I feel like with these interest rate hikes, he's not letting the house get to 70 before he's turning it to 80. And, and it's, just, it's, it's just so wonky to me. Am I off base with this? You know, actually, it's one of the best uh, uh, examples I, I think I've heard about monetary policy is that when you raise interest rates, it takes about a year for that, that to kind of work its way through the economy because the economy is huge and there's a lot of moving parts. So you, there's some validity there. It's that you know, I think Powell is under so much pressure to get inflation down right now because they screwed up so badly in 21, so badly, that... Uh, that, that they, want to, they want to turn this thing around in a matter of two, three months. So you're right, they keep moving it up. And I think that's, again, let's go back to what, what's the market worried about right now is that they're worried that they're going to move the thermostat way too high without even waiting for the, for the room to warm up beforehand. Uh, and, and that risk is on the table next year. There's no question about it. So I'm curious, are there, like, what kind of, like, checks, balances, guardrails, like, what is around this to sort of prevent I mean, it doesn't seem like there's much of anything, right, to, to prevent sort of this, this craziness from happening, from, from preventing some of these guys from making decisions that seem to be very obviously damaging to everybody else, but, but apparently not to them for whatever reason. I mean, there's, there's not many. I mean, the Fed was designed to be independent. I mean, there's a couple influencers of the Fed. Uh, obviously, the Fed chair, kind of Jerome Powell's the boss, right? But there is, a, there is a consensus process built into decisions. So you can dissent, you can vote against things of that nature. But from... Everything that I've understood is that you know, the reason why you tend to see consensus across the board is because things are you know, figured out before they go into vote. Congress has some authority as well. Uh, not much, but a little bit of authority. Uh, to, but to sway these decisions, nah. I mean, even, even the president, which, who, who actually, the, the irony of the president is that they uh, elect the Fed governors and obviously uh, uh, 
uh, put the Fed chair up for, for, for vote as well. They, that's kind of where their power ends, though. I mean, do you get, I don't know if you guys remember back in uh, before COVID, <laughs> Trump was running around saying that he was going to fire Jerome Powell because, ironically, at that point, Powell wasn't cutting rates. He was actually raising them. And uh, he even, I think he blamed Powell for being the biggest threat that the United States faces at one point. There's nothing Trump or any, any other president can do. You can't fire the Fed, right? So, or the Fed chair. So, uh, and, and there's a long history of fights between presidents and, and the Fed chairs because if, even though the president has virtually no power, they've got the most to lose, right? I mean, ultimately, if we end up in a recession, Biden's going to take the blame for it no matter what happens. So there's always this, this, this fight between these two, these two groups, but ultimately the Fed is, is operating as independently as, as any government organization could possibly be right now. So there's a couple things here, right? It's the actions that they're taking, and you alluded to it a little earlier, Tino, it's their, their choice of communication style and language, right? That Jackson Hole meeting did seem to mark a, a, a departure from the way they had been communicating in the past. It was like, I don't remember the exact phrase, but it was something like, we're going to have to endure a lot of pain. Um, and it seems to me that those kinds of comments, they're not casual. They're not, it's not like us talking here on the podcast, right? You know, I might, I might say something and, and think, you know, an hour later, gee, I wish I had worded it differently. I've got to think that when they make those statements, they understand the gravity of the language that they use and it's got to be very intentional. And since that point, the language has been so negative and so ominous. And I don't, I don't understand why. I mean, that's got to be a calculated move, don't you think? Oh, it's 100% calculated. What they are doing, without question, is, look, going into Jackson Hole, the market had recovered. I forgot what the number was. I mean, the S&P 500 was up nicely, maybe 15% or 17 I, I forgot what it was. doesn't matter. The market was moving back in a good direction. The Fed doesn't want that. They do not want the stock market to rise right now. They don't want it to crash, but they don't want it to rise, okay? Because as it rises, then we all feel wealthier, we all feel better about our future prospects, and what do we do? We go out and spend money, and that is the last thing the Fed wants us to do right now. They don't want us to go out and spend money. 70% of our economy is consumer spending. If we're out there spending too much money or a lot of money, that's not going to solve their inflation problem. So they came out with tough language because they're trying to basically put a ceiling on the stock market, okay? Kill that wealth effect, drive the housing market into recession, do all these things to get inflation down. Their speech has been 100% calculated. My argument here is that talk is cheap. All right, it's a really easy to come out and act tough, but remember these are like geeky PhDs. I mean, except for Powell who did work in private sector. I'll be curious to see if they're really willing to take this ride all the way to the very end. I mean, they're talking about We'll, we'll take the economy into recession if we have to. I'll see it when I believe it. I'm very skeptical. You go back to, again, go back to 2019. The economy felt would, on, you know, from an analogy standpoint, be a, a bit of a paper cut in terms of pain, and Powell immediately cut rates. I mean, just cut rates out of nowhere, completely caught people off guard. So I don't know if they have the stomach for it, but right now they are talking more aggressively than we've ever heard in the past 15 years. Yeah, I, it just feels, it, it actually, it, it, to me, it sort of reminds me a, a little bit of the, the, the Fauci handling of the, the pandemic, right? It, it was like, I, I've got this one goal and I'm completely oblivious to any of the other consequences of, of what it is that I'm trying to do here. And it's going to have all kinds of other unintended consequences. And it's going to, it's going to create a lot of other negativity in other areas. But as long as I, as long as I accomplish my one goal, uh, you know, I just don't give a damn about anything else. And, and it feels the same way to me. 
They've got blinders on. They 100% do. And, I, and I, the worst part about it is that they have lost, in my opinion, all credibility that they have ever had. All of the credibility that they gained after March of 2020 during the lockdowns. And they were applauded for their monetary response, which, to be fair, I thought was a very, very good one. I mean, how long have our company, our organization, Darwin, how long have we been talking about inflation? I went back and looked. The first time I wrote about it was, uh, was June of 2020. We as an organization, the three of us have been talking about inflation, I know for a fact, for at least two years now, okay? Last year, it was blatantly obvious, and they were still at 0% interest rates. They were still buying bonds. March of this year, February of this year, when inflation was above, I forgot what it was, 6 or 7%, they were still buying bonds and keeping rates low. I mean, the utter lunacy of that, you can't explain it. They have lost all credibility. But this reversal, of course, is so sudden and so ridiculous that it's it's like, I mean, what did he like wake up in the middle of the night one night and say, oh, shit, I got it. You know, we got to go completely the opposite way. It's just weird. Yeah, I, th- I, I think they saw the inflation report for what was it back in July? And they said, we got to We got to put a cap on spending and we got to scare people. And that's and look, people talk about the president of the United States being the most powerful person in the world. I think in many ways. The, the head of the Fed is just as powerful. Yeah, if not more so. I mean, it, it's pretty obvious what's happened with the economy right now, that they, they wield an awful lot of power. So, Tina, you've, you've said credibility three times. I mean, how much credibility do they really need, though? What, you know, whether, whether they have it or they don't have it, I mean, the repercussions are virtually zero. Well, I mean, there you go, right? That's just it, is they don't have credibility, which can cause volatility in markets. But guess what? That's what they want right now. So to your point, Remy, they, I don't think they care. You know, they, they, they don't have to answer to really anybody. They're notoriously late to the party in every imaginable way. And right now, I think that they really do want to see inflation come down. And to, to Mike's point, they're willing to do whatever it takes to get there. I mean, and, and a lot of times, we all, as we all know in life, you know, when you put blinders on, there are unintended consequences. And we've seen unintended consequences since we shut down the economy. And we're going to continue to see them simply because of what the Fed's doing right now. Uh, and, and in many ways, also not doing. You know, again, if, if we go back to and look at communication, go back to the Greenspan days, right? And, and even before then, the Fed was notorious for just not communicating all that well because they just didn't care. They're like, we, we don't care what's going on in the markets. We're going to focus on what we do, and, and that's about it. Ben Bernanke changed that during the financial crisis. And the way they approach monetary policy has, has changed dramatically uh, since the, great, uh, the global financial crisis. But in doing so, what, you see, what you've seen over time is Ben Bernanke, Janet Yellen, and even Powell, the amount of communication has increased dramatically. And there's good and bad things, right? There's good, the good thing is that we, we get some kind of predictive nature about where they're headed in many ways, shape, or form. But the bad thing, though, is that they now wield this incredible power by just saying certain words at certain times using voice inflections that might point to more negativity going forward. So you have a group that has very little restrictions, very little guidelines. They similarly don't particularly care all that much about their credibility. So it, this really sort of circles back to, to what Mike said right when we started this podcast. And it's really the only thing that matters at this point, which is figuring out what is their incentive, right? That, that's really the, the, the only thing that matters here, if you want to understand what's happening and, and the decisions that they're making. I would say their incentive is to get inflation down. Uh, and 
it, it might not be a personal directed set of like an econ 101 class would teach you where we're self-interested and how do we benefit. Uh, but I, I, I do think that they are mostly concerned about credibility at this point and getting it back and, and fixing this inflation problem. Inflation is a really, really scary thing. Now, could we end up like Venezuela? No. Hyperinflation is something that's completely different than inflation. But the problem with inflation is that inflation begets inflation, right? Because we're, we're all seeing it right now. If, if I go into a store and 20% of the items are 10% more expensive, whatever it is, and I'm a competitor and I say, hey, people are paying more for, prices, or for, for products, what I'm going to do? I'm going to raise my prices too, right? And then people start raising prices just because prices are rising. It's a very, very difficult thing to solve. The Fed has changed the way that they attack inflation, changed the way that they attack, approach monetary policy so dramatically since the financial crisis that the other risk out there right now is that we don't even know if it's going to work, right? So there's a lot on the line right now with the Fed. And I think the Fed, frankly, I think they're worried. I think they're nervous. I think they're, it's like anything else, you know? It's like when, the, when, when, when business is tough or when you're under a lot of pressure and you feel like you got to do something immediately, you got to see an immediate feedback to move in a different direction, right? Let's say you've been eating too much or drinking too much. You stop the next day and you expect to lose 10 pounds in an hour. It just doesn't work like that. You know, like you said, Mike, earlier, it takes a while to see these effects kind of work their way through the economy. And right now, I truly think they're panicking. You know, this sort of circles back to a, an episode that we did. I don't remember when. It's probably over a year ago right now. You know, but, but, but it's almost like the best thing to do is to do nothing. I mean, it's the hardest thing to do, but it's the best thing to do. You have to do nothing. You have to sit. You have to wait. You have to see sort of, you know, how these decisions play out before you make your next decision. And that doing nothing, as we've talked about ad nauseum, is, is maybe one of the most challenging things to do. I think they got to pause at some point. You know, they're, they're going to raise rates most likely in November and, uh, by 75 basis points and then another 50 basis point move in December. If they don't stop after that, and, and to Mike's point, if they, don't, if they don't hit the pause button to wait to see what happens, wait to see if that room warms up, we could be in for um, a, a challenging couple months. Now, I don't necessarily think that we're anywhere near what a 2008-type recession would be. The, 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 the dynamics, the, the landscape, everything is completely different than it was in 2008. But what we also don't need the Fed to do is we don't need them to overshoot too far too fast because of that lag effect. So the question is, when they finally do signal that they're done being so hawkish, the perspective of the market, it, is it going to be like, oh my God, they've lifted prohibition, let's go out and drink? And everybody's going to go nuts. Uh, I, I, you know what I mean? Is that, is that what's good? I mean, that's what seems to happen with everything right now, right? As soon as there's... Yeah, I, I, I think there's an element to that, Mike. Absolutely. If you go back and look over history, the, the, the stock market tends to re recover about six to nine months before the economy bottoms out, right? The reason for that is it starts anticipating the recovery. And I think one of the triggers for that is a shift in Fed policy. And you can go back and look at the data. And I think it's important from an investment standpoint because the historical gains from the time that the market rebounds to when the economy bottoms, all right? So like I said, the market tends to rebound before the economy actually bottoms out. That period, that window right there is generally speaking about six to nine months. And the gains in that six to nine months, historically speaking, have been absolutely amazing. And a lot of it is because of what you just said. It says, finally, the Fed has stopped. Things are gonna finally start moving in a good direction. People start going out partying hard, they buy it up, but it takes a very, very strong stomach to do that because the economy continues to deteriorate. But 
you know, there's a great quote from Shelby Davis, who's a famous investor. He said, you make most of your money in bear markets. You just don't realize it at the time. And that quote, I think, ties into a lot of what you're saying right there. That's your first quote in a while, Tino. You've been relatively quoteless for the last few episodes. <laughs> I know. I was actually going to say the same thing. <laughs> yeah, I just realized that. I got to get some fresh ones. I think I'm running dry on, on good quotes these days. <laughs> <laughs> so bottom line, does the Fed know what they're doing or, or what? I'm with Jeremy Siegel here. I don't think they know what they're doing right now. I think in, in their defense, monetary policy is very, very difficult, but I think they're making it more difficult. And I think that, uh, I think that from an investment standpoint, the number one risk right now is the Fed. On the flip side, I am still very, very skeptical that they have the stomach to continue doing what they're doing. I think at some point they're going to fold. This podcast is created and presented by Darwin Asset Management, LLC and Darwin Advisors, LLC, collectively referred to as Darwin. Darwin does not make any representation or warranties and therefore takes no responsibility as to the accuracy, timeliness, suitability, completeness, or relevance of any information contained in this podcast. Any tax or legal information contained in this podcast is general in nature. Always consult an attorney or tax professional regarding your specific legal or tax situation. The information presented does not involve the rendering of personalized investment advice. Different types of investments involve varying degrees of risk and there could be no assurance that any investment or strategy would be suitable or profitable for a client's portfolio. All investment strategies have the potential for profit and loss. Past performance may not be indicative of future results. Information presented is not an offer to buy or sell or a solicitation of any offer to buy or sell the securities mentioned herein.